0: Because I am generous. So the last will be first and the first will be last. Lord, open our hearts and minds by the power of your Holy Spirit, that we may hear your word with joy. Amen. Good morning. There we go. All right. See, the snow comes. I just forget what to do. So the parable we just heard is often referred to as the parable of the vineyard workers. And I have to admit it's not one of my favorite parables because I think it points out that life is unfair. We can probably all testify at times that life is not fair because life is not fair. Some people are taller. Some people are faster. Some people are smart or smarter. Some people are funnier. Some people are thought to be better looking than others. Uh, You know, today we could say life's not fair because we live in Kansas and we don't live in Florida. Um, You know, it's not fair because, you know, Pastor Doug can eat potato chips all day long and still look to be as good a shape as always. Life is not fair. So it's interesting uh, that, that in this parable, Jesus appears to be demonstrating this very fact of that statement. Now, it's a pity that we didn't read the last verse of chapter 19 before we read this parable because Matthew 19, verse 30 reads, But many who are first will be last. And many who are last will be first because this verse provides an identical bookend to the end of the parable, which also concludes, so the last will be first and the first will be last, where the order is completely reversed, but the meaning stays the same. Now, did you notice that Jesus did not say that this is what the kingdom of earth is like? No, he said, this is what the kingdom of heaven is like. And I'm going to get to that a little bit later, but the kingdom of heaven as we know or as we have read, has a distinct set of values. Think about some of these things. Jesus tells us that uh, the kingdom of heaven is like one who goes, loses a sheep, in the 99, or, and he leaves the 99 to go look for the one lost sheep. He said that a widow's penny, two pennies, were more valuable than all the gold that was collected in the temple in one day. Are you serious? Is that really more valuable? That's what the world would believe, but the kingdom of heaven... That has a different view on things. This parable then can, I think, can teach us some really valuable lessons. The parable grows out of a statement that was made by Peter, and Peter's statement was the aftermath of Jesus' experience with the rich young ruler. Peter said, basically, you told the rich young ruler to go sell everything he had in order to go and follow you. Well, we've done that, Jesus. Your disciples, we've, we've given up everything, right? We To follow you. And so... What shall we receive, therefore? Peter was like, we've left everything. We've sacrificed our lives. We've, we've given up our families, our homes, our businesses. We've left everything for your sake. Now, what we need to know is what's going to be our gain. What, what are we going to profit from this, Jesus? Peter was trying to move himself closer to Jesus to kind of scoot himself over next to Jesus, hoping that when Jesus comes into the kingdom, that Peter's going to get all the good stuff that he's hoping for and expecting. Peter wanted all the perks and the discounts and the advantages of being one of Jesus' disciples, of being a part of his entourage. And Jesus said, there's going to be a rewards, all right, but, but he's saying, you know what, they're going to be beyond our imagination, but they're, going to, they're not going to be given out the way that you think they're going to be given out. What he was trying to tell his disciples is that kingdom pay is not earned, it's given. And that's what makes it grace. He's trying to tell Peter that whatever they had forsaken – For the kingdom were not sacrifices, but they were investments. I want to go back and look at the parable again and and kind of look at it quickly and point out some facets to the story that I think are going to help us with some things that we can take away and some application. So if you've got your Bibles, go ahead and open them back up to Matthew 20, starting in verse 1 and 2. Let's see it again. It says, For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard, He agreed to pay them a denarius for the day and sent them into his vineyard. So this is going to be a typical scene in the Bible during Jesus' day. Uh, Just as employment agencies are around today, laborers back in Jesus' day would often go stand at at the marketplace and wait to be hired by people for the day. And those workers were typically unskilled at a trade, and so they were near the bottom of the socioeconomic scale. And in fact, many lived at a level that wasn't too far above beggars. And they worked from job to job, and many of them, many of the jobs lasted no more than one day because they had no guarantee of work beyond what they might be doing at that certain day. They would gather in the marketplace before dawn to be available to be hired. So these workers were promised by the owner of the vineyard uh, the pay of a denarius, which was about what a day laborer in Jesus' day would have made. It was similar to what somebody would make today if they made minimum wage. Um, so. It wasn't a lot of pay. It was enough just for the worker to kind of to live on back then. And so the equivalent would have been about $50 today. Now, this particular landowner's property must have been large. And so he needed more laborers to get the job done. So let's look at verses 3 through 7. It goes on. Jesus says about 9 in the morning, he went out and saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. He told them, you also go and work in my vineyard and I will pay you whatever is right. So they went. He went again about noon and about three in the afternoon and did the same thing. About five in the afternoon, he went out and found still others standing around. He asked them, why have you been standing here all day long doing nothing? Because no one has hired us, they said. He said to them, you also go and work in my vineyard. So the phrase in verse five that says, I will pay you whatever is right, shows us that these workers no doubt trusted the owner as a man of his word. While the owner doesn't promise a specific wage to the workers, these workers knew that he would be fair. And then the phrase in verse 6 that says, found still others standing around, doesn't mean that these guys were lazy. It just simply means that they were unemployed and they were waiting for somebody to come hire them. So this pattern continued as the owner kept coming back to the marketplace at 9 a.m., noon, 3 p.m., and even 5 p.m. And it's at this point that the parable takes a turn and, and, and it's really interesting. By 5 p.m., the work on most vineyards would have been kind of wrapping up for the day. The laborers had been waiting uh, for work at this time at the marketplace, would have lost hope. And yet as the day, uh, yet on this day, it was different because the generosity of the landowner. It's clear that he's interested not only in his vineyard, but also in the unemployed. And so we see here that there are two different kinds of groups of workers. Those hired early who were to work after, went to work after negotiating a specific wage, and those who were hired later who went to work without a contract, trusting to choose to the, the goodness of the master who asked them to go work for him. So let's go on with the parable. Verse 8, it says, When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, Call the workers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last ones hired going on to the first. Now the typical mode of payment back then would have been first come first served, but you know Jesus, he always does things kind of opposite of what we would expect him to do, and so he basically says last come first served. And I'm sure that those who had worked all day long at this point were beginning to get a, a, a bit confused by what Jesus, by what the owner was doing. And let's look look at verses nine and ten. The workers who had hired were hired about five in the afternoon came and each received a denarius. So when those who came were hired first, they expected to receive more. Makes sense, doesn't it? But each one of them also received a denarius. And though Jesus doesn't say it, the implication is clear that all of the workers, even those who were hired first, up to those hired first, were paid a denarius for the work that day. Now think about human nature. We can imagine how the laborers who had worked all day long felt as they watched the workers who got one denarius the natural reaction would have been, hey, if the owner gave them 50 bucks for one hour of work, imagine what he's going to give me for working all day long. However, their hopes were dashed, weren't they? They received the same pay as the workers who had worked only one hour. Look at verses 11 and 12. The attitudes of the workers kind of head south from this point. It says, when they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. These who were hired last worked only one hour, they said, And you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the work in the heat of the day. Now, working in a vineyard was really hard work. Uh, It it involved laboring on a hillside, typically, uh, in the heat of the day with very few breaks. And we can sympathize with these workers, can't we? Uh, We understand their complaint. Their joy turned to anger as they realized that they received the same pay as those who'd only worked for one hour. I'd be upset, I think. And as such, they were determined not to leave until they received satisfaction from the landowner. However, we find that they're, they're, there's this, this uh, argument that they have, this complaint they have, is only a symptom of the real problem, which was that they were upset that the landowner had made other workers equal to them. So let's see how the owner responds in verses 13 through 15. He said, he answered one of them, I, I am not being unfair to you, friend. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give you, I want to give the one who was hired last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I am generous? Here the the owner refutes the worker's arguments with a crushing blow. The word friend is not a term for a close companion, but rather it's a casual companion. And since the landowner only addresses one person, the implication is is that this friend probably was the spokesperson for the whole group of workers who were upset. And the owner clearly states, I'm I'm doing you no wrong. Did you not agree to work for one denarius? Before 6 o'clock that morning, they had agreed with the owner on a price for their labor. At, At that time in the morning, they agreed that $50 was fair. It was a generous wage for their work. Both sides had lived up to their end of the bargain. What the landowner paid the other laborers or what the landowner did with his own money was no business of anyone else. In fact, if the landowner had wanted to give half of his wealth to one of the workers, he would not be unjust. He would be considered very, very generous. Or if we're somebody who owns a lot, we would say, well, maybe he's a little bit foolish, but he's not unjust. Then Jesus brings the parable to an appropriate end in verse 16. Let's read it out loud together. It's on the screen behind me. So the last will be first, and the first will be last. So in the kingdom of God, Jesus is basically saying that our perceived position makes no difference because God shows no partiality. In God's economy, things are often just the opposite of what we think they should be. And grace has an edge to it, doesn't it? It's challenging. It's even disturbing at times. And if we're honest, we have to admit that grace scandalizes us. Grace is not the normal way that we do things. Grace is not the way of the kingdoms of this world. So what do we make of this crazy story that Jesus tells about this really peculiar landowner? What would the U.S. Department of Labor do with this, right? What would the unions do with a story like this? What would a good attorney do with this kind of situation? Right in the middle of this uh, story is this peculiar landowner. You know, the landowner represents God and shows to us a side and an angle to the nature of God. What can we say about the landowner? The landowner is unpredictable and generous to a fault. The landowner is unpredictable because he doesn't treat those whom he retains for work the way that we would probably treat them. We're all about fairness, about equality, especially when it comes to our own work and our own service. The landowner, however, can do with his money however he wants to do. Because he doesn't have to ask anybody's permission. He isn't in the least concerned about what others think about his actions or that the, he may offend others who think he, may act, he should act differently. So if I'm honest, this parable makes me uncomfortable. Maybe it's because basically Jesus is teaching his disciples about God's sovereignty, that God has a right to do whatever he pleases. In the parable, the workers who toiled for 12 hours in the hot sun complained to the owner that it wasn't fair What did the owner say? He basically said, I paid you what we agreed at the beginning of the day that I would pay you. If I want to be generous with my gifts and my money, then that's my right. It's my vineyard. It's my money. Basically saying, get over it. Grace certainly disturbs our sense of justice and our sense of fairness. But the universe belongs to God and not to us. Yes, this is not how the world does business, but it is how God does his business. So who are we to disagree with him? God is God. He rules. And he does as he pleases. Fortunately, he's a good God. He's a faithful God. He's a God of love and not of hate. And God tells us in Isaiah 55, verses 8 and 9, he says, My thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. While the landowner is unpredictable, you can also say he's fair and extremely generous. He hired the first workers based on paying them a day's wages for a full day's work, and he did that. He's fair, right? His generosity is what caused dissension because he paid those who worked nine hours, those who worked six hours, three hours, and one hour, he paid all of them a full day's wage for their work. The owner says to those who worked all day, I am not being unfair to you, friend. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? And we want to read this parable about one about fairness, but is that what we want or is that what we need? There's an old proverb that says that when we get what we deserve, that is justice. When we, get what we, de- when we don't get what we deserve, that's mercy. And when we get what we don't deserve, that's grace. So clinging to our sense of fairness reveals how, misunderstand, how much we misunderstand God's ways. God's kingdom is not based on what is fair, but on what we need. We don't need justice. We need grace. Grace that overlooks all that we are and all that we've done and all that we've said. Grace that allows us to stand in line hoping that God would smile down on us. Fairness is not what we want because if fairness were the measure, then I would have to admit that I'm probably more like the workers who were hired at 5 p.m. than the workers who were hired at 6 a.m. in the morning. God is fair and generous to all. There was a Sunday school teacher who asked her class if, she, if they understood the difference between kindness and loving kindness. And one of the girls in the class raised her hand and she said, I know the difference. She said, the difference is, like when I ask my mom for toast and she gives me toast, that's kindness. But when I ask my mom for toast and she gives me toast with butter and homemade jelly on it, that's loving kindness. And that's who God is. God is a God who is generous. And in his loving kindness, he's an exceedingly generous giver. He doesn't just give you some blessings. He gives you blessings with some butter and jelly on top of it. And that's why the Bible says that he overloads us with benefits. David says in the Psalms that he anoints my head with oil. My cup runs over. So God is unpredictable, yes. But he's also exceedingly generous to us. So what can we say about the workers? What are the workers' responses? Well, if we look at the workers and we think that we're probably like the workers, we can either choose to be grateful or we can grumble. The 12-hour workers grumbled because they compared their wages to the one-hour workers' wages. Somebody once said that comparison is toxic to the human soul. Abraham Lincoln was walking one day with his two young sons, uh, Tab and Willie, and the two boys were arguing and complaining, and uh, one of Abe's friends came up to them as they were walking. He said, Abe, what's wrong with your boys? And he said, what's wrong with my boys is what's wrong with the world. He said, in my hand I have three chestnuts. And my boys both want two. And so the world just lives and di- desires to, be compare- to compare to what others are getting. And we want more. or We think what we're, we have or what we don't have isn't fair. Humans then and now, we're continually comparing ourselves with others, trying to assess fairness in the level of accomplishment, which is exactly what the disciples were doing in this story. When we take our eyes off of God's goodness and his faithfulness, and we begin to look at what others have and what we don't have, then we start grumbling instead of being grateful. You know, people often tell me, I wish I was as tall as you are. They want to be as tall as me. And I think in my mind, I don't say this out loud, but sometimes I think, yeah, you think right now you want to be as tall as me, but how about do you want to be as tall as me when you ride on an airplane for four hours or when you need to go buy clothes at the store? Or when uh, you want to buy a car and you want to be comfortable in that car for the next 10 years. Sure, you want to be as tall as I do. But there's advantages and there's disadvantage to everything. You know, it's interesting that people, so many people have come up to me and said, I want to, I wish I was as tall as you. But I have never had anybody look at me and say, I love your hairstyle. I wish I had hair like you have. <laughs> so we always look at what somebody else has, something that's really good, we think. And we want that thing. We want it, and we say, we don't have it, and life's not fair. The central issue in this parable is the self-centeredness of the 12-hour workers. They were only thinking about themselves, not about the generosity or the intervention of the landowner or the fortune of the other workers. The expression in verse 14 that says, are you envious, literally means, is your eye evil? Indicating the 12-hour workers could not be thankful because their evil eyes were, we uh, were blinded by their envy and their jealousy and their lack of generosity. Jesus is warning all of us don't make the same mistakes as the jealous workers made. Don't compare yourself with other people. Don't elevate yourself to a different class as if God should bless you more for all that you've done for Him and that you're a worthier servant than someone else. I want us to notice a tragic chain of events that took place in the heart of the workers, the 12 hour workers. They started comparing themselves to others. Uh, That led to coveting more, which led to complaining that they were being treated unfairly, which led to criticizing the landowner's treatment of them. Think about this. Comparing, coveting, complaining, criticizing. Those are not kingdom values, are they? Envy ultimately kills the spirit of gratitude. The workers' eyes were focused more on being envious of what the, the workers got for less work, and they got the same amount of pay, uh, instead of focusing on the incredible generosity of the landowner. Jesus is warning all of us to not allow God's generosity toward others to cause us to be jealous, but for all of us to be grateful for his incredible generosity toward all of us who fall, fall short of his glory. The parable reminds us not to focus on what others have been given, but to look deeply at what God has done for us. We who have nothing of our own have been called to the kingdom of God. And we've been endowed with the privilege of being a disciple of Jesus. And if we're to compare anything at all, we should compare what we now have been given to what we didn't have before we had Christ. If we're going to compare, that's what Jesus would want us to compare, what we have now versus what we didn't have before we had Christ. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2 speak of, keeping our focus in the right place. This is what it says. Therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders in the sin that so easily entangles, including those evil eyes that Jesus was talking about, those eyes that draw our attention from the generosity of God and they cause us to begin to look at what others have and what we don't have. He's saying, throw those things off. They don't do you any good. And he says, let us run the, with perseverance the race marked out for us, Fixing our eyes instead on Jesus, not on others, not on what they have, not on what we don't have, but fix our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and the perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. We can keep our focus on Jesus and all the benefits that we've received in a relationship through him and be grateful Or we can allow our eyes to wander and begin to look at what others have and what we don't have, and we can grumble. You know, there's no first or last place in God's kingdom. There's no first, there's no last, there's no last, there's no first. There's no position, there's no better or worse. There's only grace for sinners like you and me. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much. We thank you for this word, this parable that Jesus taught. And it does remind us that in this world it's so hard uh, to keep our eyes focused on you and not to get caught up in the values of this world, values that cause us to be envious and jealous and, and cause us to be greedy. But God, your kingdom says, hey, look at what you've received because of Christ. Keep your eyes focused on God and on, on, on my generosity. Don't let your eyes wander to the things that others have, that I've given them, that I haven't given to you. But in all things, God, help us to be grateful. Grateful for your incredible, generous love for all of us. Grateful for all that you have provided to us, individually and as groups of people. God, we're grateful. We are. And help us to continue to live with grateful hearts and grateful spirits. And not to, to really begin to look and, and compare ourselves to others. But God, help us to see who we are in Christ and what we have received in and through Christ. And in all these things, God, we give you thanks. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.